everybody thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of reasonably outrageous i'm your co-host matt wyrick along with blake pace sitting here on a tuesday evening uh you all listening of course on wednesday but we had monday night football last night have had the stretch run in baseball i feel like i'm saying the same thing at the start of every episode because we're <laughs> kind of in that point of this of the sports calendar where things are really heating up uh and it's it's been a lot of fun but blake how you doing man yeah, I'm good, and you're right, this is just such a fun time, it does sound repetitive, but we're still in that stretch, I mean, we're still in the early stage of the season, figuring out, you know, basically where the state of all of these current teams are at right now, and, and like you said, baseball, we're getting closer and closer to postseason play, um, so, you know, those two topics are just going to be basically all of our content for the next few weeks until, you know, we get closer to basketball season, training camp is just a couple weeks away, but... um yeah, it's a fun time. You talk about Monday Night Football. We got the Odell Beckham Jr. revenge game, essentially. It wasn't against the Giants, but he was in New York. <laughs> he was in MetLife. That's all that matters. Exactly. In MetLife, 89-yard touchdown on a slant route. Basically, the, the marquee play that separates Odell Beckham Jr. from most receivers, in my opinion, is that he can. he's, one of the, he's the only guy that can take a slant 80 yards to the house. It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> of course, he had the one-handed grab on that corner of... Uh, of the corner of the sideline too in that game. So I loved watching that. You know how much I love Odell and uh, yeah, you know, a good Monday night game. Uh, well, not score wise, but um, you know, for the Browns, good way to move to 500 and hopefully in the right direction. Yeah. They needed that win pretty badly, you know, uh, after getting embarrassed against the Titans and it was still a sloppy game for sure. Plenty of mistakes yeah. made uh, on both sides of the ball really. But uh, you know, the most important thing is you get in that win column, you know, you put the critics to rest for at least a week, uh, and moving forward, you know, you can kind of shrug off that, uh, zero from the, the win column. That's an important number to, to get out of there. So they're, they're in the win column. They're, they're feeling good. You know, I'm not, I'm not low on the Browns just yet. I'm going to wait and see how the, the season unfolds. I know a lot of people were quick to jump on how overrated yeah. they were after that, that embarrassing loss, but the same time you know there's a lot of football left to be played so i'm gonna let it happen yeah yeah definitely for sure all right well we're gonna go ahead uh what we've decided to do our stock watch segment every other week uh that was a last second decision we made prior made to the an show. audible at the uh, line of scrimmage yes but that's because there is a lot to unpack from this past weekend specifically in the quarterback room quarterback rooms um where we're gonna look at four quarterback situations that have been going through a big change and an unexpected one at that. Uh, and we're going to kind of look at the progress and, and where we kind of see them going. Uh, we're going to start with the big announcement that happened earlier today. Eli Manning is no longer going to be the starting quarterback Ooh. of the New York Giants, something that uh, we thought was going to happen when Ben McAdoo was the head coach, but yet it only lasted one game. Uh, but then, of course, they bring in uh, the young Daniel Jones with the top draft pick, which was you know, slammed at the time, but he had a good preseason. So a lot of people aren't sure what to expect, but New York fans are cautiously optimistic. So Blake, where do you stand on this? Yeah, you know, I was a little surprised. I thought it might be kind of a, a you know, given Eli maybe a few more weeks into the season. But when you have to look at it, you got to think that this GM and this head coach and Pat Shermer, they're, they're fighting for their jobs. And you think about um, 
who was the Ben McAdoo, he got fired halfway through or towards the end of his second season. Pat Shermer's in his second season with the Giants, and he would have to win eight out of the next 12 games to have the same record as Ben McAdoo when Ben McAdoo was fired. So this start <laughs> to his career with the Giants has been anything but good. And so, you know, at, at this point, you just got to throw balls to the wall and say, we got a young guy in here that showed a lot of flash in the preseason. My job is on the line, and I believe that this quarterback better fits my system than Eli. You know, with, with Shermer, you're going to get a lot of rollouts. You can get some designed quarterback runs. You know, we think about the Minnesota Vikings offense back before Kirk Cousins, uh, and I believe that was Case Keenum's big season in Minnesota. Uh, when you find the right quarterback that can be tailored, tailored fit to that offensive system, a guy that's a little more athletic, uh, can do a little bit more outside the pocket and, and you know, um, you know, move on the fly and things like that. You know, it, it's the better fit for Shermer's offense. And so you take into, the, uh, into account that his job is on the line. He obviously didn't like what he saw of Eli Manning in the first two games. Now, I believe their offense did look, you know, decently productive in the first two games. Uh, they did play a tough Buffalo defense last week. And, and the Cowboys defense is no joke either in week one. So they have played two very tough defenses. I would say two in the top 10 of defenses in the NFL. So now you hope that um, this upcoming week against Tampa Bay, who definitely looked a little bit better on on defense, um, you know, with how they performed against the Panthers and the 49ers uh, the week before that. But this is really the right time to get Daniel Jones in there, um, not only for him, as in, you know, you don't want to put him against those top two defenses in the first two weeks, but also for the entire organization. And they're all trying to keep their jobs. So so overall, I think this is the, the right decision to go through. Of course, it's one that stings sour in, in the New York fan base, but in the end, if Jan- Daniel Jones is your guy and you took him with the sixth overall pick and you're afraid of losing your job if you don't finish out the season on a strong note and without you know real true direction of where this team is going, then I think you had to do it. And so uh, I'm excited to see Daniel Jones. I wasn't a fan of the draft pick, of course, at sixth overall. He has proved essentially everybody wrong so far this preseason. So hopefully he can continue to do so and, and uh, bring some winning ways to New York in the future. Yeah, you know... Obviously, I understand why the team decided to make Manning the starter heading into the season, given that he mm-hmm. was a veteran, given that Jones was considered a raw prospect. Even though he did excel in the pre- preseason, you thought, why not give the veteran Manning one last shot? But it almost sucks for him that he did start those two games, having lost both of them. His career QB record fell to 116 yeah. and 116. He is a 500 quarterback in his career, obviously with two Super Bowls, uh, but I thought that was a funny anecdote. But Jones, you know, that those preseason numbers are pretty exciting. 29 of 34 attempts, that's 85.3 hmm. uh, completion percentage, 416 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Obviously, uh, you know, he wasn't really slinging it down the field as much as uh, he probably will be in game settings. I think we saw a lot of checkdowns, but, you know, given Saquon Barkley's presence, that's certainly something that we're going to be seeing a lot of, especially early on as he gets acclimated to real NFL game speed. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm, I support this move. The Giants aren't going to be contending. It's, you know, time to try out your, your young guy and see what you got in that draft pick. Yes, he was exciting in the preseason, but this is when the games matter. This is when they count. You know, you, you get out of the, that Dallas game out of the way, which was probably going to be tough no matter who started that game. Uh, Buffalo, obviously, uh, being, you know, a New York team, um, you know, you have that rivalry uh, in there. You now go into a stretch where you play against the Bucks, the Redskins, and the Vikings in three straight games. Uh, depending on where you are in any of those teams, you know, 
they're they're not they're still not you know world beating uh, franchises. Obviously, you have that Patriots no. game uh, in Week Six that's looming, uh, but at the same time, you'll give him three games to kind of get acclimated uh, before he has to go over to Foxborough. So I like the move. I think it's the right time to do it. Uh, you know, I, I salute Eli Manning uh, for what he's done in his career, um, but I think that you know Pat Shermer needs to think about his job. And Eli Manning is not going to be saving his job uh, by the end of the season. You know, he, he, this this front office is looking for results, uh, and I think that the only way to really get those results going in the right direction is to at least try Daniel Jones. Yeah, certainly. And if all things go right and Daniel Jones stays healthy throughout the season, another thing that will be interesting is this probably is the last time that we see Eli Manning play football now. He is 38 years old. He has four kids that all live in New Jersey, so... If he was to play, you would expect that he would try and stay around the Northeast, and there just aren't situations that are opening up right now where he could come in and do a, you know, you know, compete for a starting quarterback job. And we we seem to think that those days are behind him. So, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, the end of of an interesting career, certainly one that I am going to be so annoyed through the next, you know, what, 15, 20 years when we discuss if Eli Manning is oh, a Hall of Famer. Oh, that was my next question for you, Blake. Uh, is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer? To me, he's not. Why is To me, that? he's not. Because um, in, in throughout his entire career, there wasn't one season that he finished in the top five of quarterbacks in QBR, passing yards, uh, completion percentage, or touchdowns. So um, those are all, you know, we, we talk about stats, and, and we've had discussions before about how the right system and the right talent around you can compete with that. But when we're comparing to Hall of Fame, I get you've had two Super Bowls behind two very great teams uh, but the quarterback, to me himself, we gotta when we try and evaluate Hall of Fame talent, we gotta evaluate the guy himself and what the numbers also look like out of that. And he's been a great face for the franchise. The Manning family certainly um, gets a lot of respect uh, throughout the organization and its fan bases. But if you just talk, ask me if his talent alone uh, and the production that he's put on the field equates to to a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, I would say negative Ghost Rider. Yeah, I, I lean in that direction too. And look, I get that the whole two Super Bowls things, and in fact, right. beating the Patriots both times, uh, you know, with incredible performances. Not only did he win uh, the Super Bowls, but he was Super Bowl MVP of both of those games. You know, those mm-hmm. were those were fantastic performances. He made clutch throws in both of those games. One, the, the David Tyree catch. The other one, the Mario Manningham down the sideline play. I mean. Both of those those plays were, you know, iconic in the, in the history of the New York Giants, and that's going to live forever. Uh, and you look at his career, and you know, he, he's thrown for a decent amount of yards. You know, eclipsed four thousand. What is this? Eight times? Seven times? Seven times in his career, he eclipsed four thousand yards. Uh, threw for 30, tu- 30 touchdowns three times, including or as, as plus another one where he threw for twenty nine. Uh, just the interception totals were high. Uh, you know, certainly that that QBR, especially mm-hmm. you know down the stretch of his career, the last four years he's finished with a QBR below fifty, uh, which is yeah. not not good. Uh, certainly, uh, and he's had a, a couple of seasons like that in his career that where he hasn't finished with such a, a rating, but. You know, uh, I think he just kind of falls in that category of the hall of very good. You know, he was right. uh, the model of consistency, the model of, of health, uh, you know, never missed a game for injury throughout his career uh, until, uh, obviously, you know, he was benched that one game back in 2017, not injury-related, but 
you know, this is the first time where we're really looking at Eli Manning being not on the field for an extended amount of time. And there's something to say for that. You know, he's been a starting quarterback since 2004. Uh, you know, I, you and I, Blake, were seven years old at the time. I mean, yep. you know, that's, that's pretty crazy for him to have been just a staple in the league for so long. And for a guy who has been, you know, slammed for, you know, his interception uh, problems, which, you know, to the, the critics' credit, certainly he has had plenty of those. Um, but he's just kind of someone who's always been there. Uh, and you right. know, I, I tip my cap to him. He's had a fantastic career, something he can really hang his hat on. You know, uh, there's only so many quarterbacks who've won two Super Bowls, uh, only so many players who have won two Super Bowls uh, in their time in the league, and, and that's certainly something to respect. But I agree with you. I just don't think – I think you have to put up the regular season numbers uh, in addition to the postseason success that, uh, you know, warrants being in the Hall of Fame because if you, if you start doing that – you know, you expand it to other positions where you have a couple of guys who, you know, maybe someone wins three Super Bowls, they bounce around the league a little bit, but, you know, they're, mm. they're a corner and their numbers just aren't on par with other Hall of Fame corners. We're not talking about the same thing. You know, I, I get right. that the quarterback position obviously is more important, more attributed to wins. I get that, but, you know, mm. I, I think there has to be some kind of level playing field that you judge all players on, and I think that regular season performance should be a huge part of that. Yeah, and... I'll say this. I definitely think um, that I, I, I don't believe that he is a Hall of Fame quarterback. I do believe he still gets into the Hall of Fame just because yeah, I, agree I, I, I think just the time that we're in and, and how I feel like it's going to be so easy for quarterbacks in the next decade and a half to get into the Hall of Fame because just of how um, connected we all are you know, through social media and how often we see a certain individual's name like Eli Manning and see his face on a regular basis. I feel like, um, you know, we give a much, uh, you know, we give a lot more leeway to quarterbacks nowadays in terms of, of what their careers are at the end of the day. We have a lot of compassion. Um, you know, you know, we talk about how Eli's last five years, essentially, I mean, he's had one good year in there. I want to say it was back in 2016. I'm not sure exactly the year, but, um, you know, it, we just, we have so much um, love and compassion toward the athlete now that I think he does get in, especially you think the Manning family and the pull that they have in the organization and kind of how they really are the true family of football, if you think about it. Um, I think he gets in. I just personally don't think that in terms of the other quarterbacks that are in there and some that are off the list too, um, you know, I, I don't think he's deserving of, of being in the Hall of Fame. I agree with you, but... We have to move on from the Giants yep. now, and we're going to look at uh, a team that lost its starting quarterback over the weekend for the season, and that's yes. the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ben Roethlisberger, uh, was it a broken elbow? I know he's getting surgery, uh, and he'll be out for the season. They now turn to Mason Rudolph, who finished 12 of 19 uh, in the 28 to 26 loss to Seattle. Uh, he had 112 yards with two touchdowns and an interception, although that interception was on a two-point conversion attempt. Um, 92.4 passer rating, 56 QBR. Certainly not a bad showing uh, for the second-year quarterback. Blake, were you impressed with Rudolph's performance? Um, you know, against a Seattle defense like that, I, I will say that it was okay. It was adequate. He got the job done. And when you get into a situation where you're thrust into the starting job, um, you know, you have some reliable targets that you trust throughout the season. You know, he found Vance McDonald uh, often in that as well to kind of keep his flow in game. They kind of tend to go that way towards the tight end is that safety blanket. Um, that's a, a just a general trend up and down the board. When a quarterback gets thrown in there, he, he tends to throw to his tight end to get a little bit more comfortable. 
Um, you know, long term for the Steelers' plans, this isn't ideal, especially for this year. You consider, although they have lost AB and Le'Veon Bell as well, um, you know, their defense was still top notch. I know they let up 33 points to the Patriots on week one, but, you know, that's a, that's a little bit different. I think their front seven is very dominant. And, you know, their offensive line is consistently good. Uh, the receiving core has been a little underwhelming, and that was, you know, whether it was Big Ben or, or Mason Rudolph, it, it was a little underwhelming. It, it seems like Juju Smith-Schuster definitely could use A.B. on that field to uh, help clear up some ways for him. And, of course, we've talked about how James Washington, Dante Moncrief haven't really stepped up. Uh, we did get the Vance McDonald game. Um, finally, you know, James Conner, Jalen Samuels, those two guys are in there as a good, as a good running back duo, um, you know, for the season, uh, not ideal for Pittsburgh, especially when you, you consider the fact that, um, you know, both Baltimore, uh, you know, Baltimore is two and oh, you've got, um, excuse me, you've got, uh, Cleveland, who is now one and one and hopefully trending in the right direction. Of course, Cincinnati is there and they've had two. Or they've had one competitive game, of course, before being blown out by the 49ers this past week. But um, for the Steelers, it's an interesting injury to take into consideration, especially that a day after they trade uh, for one of the youngest um, rising defensive backs uh, in Minka Fitzpatrick, trading away their first-round pick. It seems to be that the Steelers think that they're still uh, in playoff contention with the team that they have and and weren't you know and, and weren't afraid about trading away a first round pick where there could be a lot of areas that you need to take a look at this offseason if things don't go well you know sitting at 0-2 that's not an ideal start and I, I want to say oh where's the number at it's around 70% of teams who start 0-2 fail to make the playoffs so things aren't looking great for Pittsburgh especially given how improved Baltimore looks and, and how much we expect from Cleveland so this 0-2 rut without Ben Roethlisberger is going to be interesting to monitor, but the team itself thinks that they're in title or playoff contention at the very least, which is why they weren't afraid of giving up uh, their first-round pick. Yeah, I mean, this is you know why they drafted him. Obviously, they give ben, Big Ben a big uh, extension this past offseason, so they believe that you know he could still be that guy. But they drafted Rudolph in the first place because, one, Roethlisberger was getting to the end of his career, and two, he's injury-prone. You know, I mean, Rudolph was a third-round pick. That's a pretty high draft capital to use uh, when you have such an established quarterback at that position. They certainly expected high things out of Rudolph as somebody who might be able to step in uh, in the case of injury for, for Roethlisberger. He's obviously had uh, some injury concerns in the past. You know, the past three years, he's been relatively healthy, only missed three games over the previous three seasons. But, you know, throughout his career, you know, he's been hurt all over his body. He's had multiple knee injuries. He's had shoulder problems. Now with this elbow, he's had concussions. So he's a banged up guy. And, you know, obviously being 37 years old, that's to be expected at this point is, is he probably won't be able to play uh, all 16 games every year uh, of this extension. So they have Rudolph as a fallback plan, and it's a pretty good one. You know, they go into these next couple games. They've got San Francisco on the road before going home and facing Cincinnati and Baltimore. Uh, you know, you think that with Rudolph, you can still win two of these three games. But honestly, my biggest thing is you kind of alluded to it is this the pieces around him. You know who leads the NFL in drops right now, Blake? It's somebody we talked about. Uh, uh, is is it Juju? No, it's Dante. Oh no, it's Dante. Moncrief. It's Dante, Dante Moncrief. Yeah, of course, he has already yeah, has four drops in two games, uh, which yeah. is pretty bad. For comparison, DeAndre Hopkins didn't drop a single pass in 2018. Um, you know yeah. that's 
that's obviously the gold standard. But at the same time, you know, Moncrief has been glaringly bad in this offense. James Washington hasn't carried over the success that he had in the preseason. Deontay Johnson, the rookie, hasn't exactly had a whole lot of opportunities to excel. But, you know, we haven't really seen big things from him in the few opportunities he has had. So there really hasn't been anybody who's emerged as that number two. Plus, you have James Conner who's now dealing with an injury. The teammates appeared optimistic that he'll be playing Mm -hmm. uh, in next week's game. But at the same time, you know, he might be limited. You might have to lean more on Jalen Samuels, who in his own right has done all right in his in his share. And they certainly are showing a trend of, of cutting back on Connor's carries this season. But the pieces around Mason Rudolph aren't exactly impressive. And, yeah. and that's what makes it concerning is you'd think that in any other year, being thrown into the Pittsburgh offense is the best situation you could have in football. Yeah. I mean, they've had a fantastic offensive line for a decade. They all they always have great running backs. They've surrounded with great receivers. But this, honestly, this is probably the worst supporting cast that a Pittsburgh quarterback has had since Ben Roethlisberger, since Antonio Brown entered the league, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, you know, so... This is it's a tough situation for the rookie. You know, you couple that with being in an zero and two rut, and there's a lot to be worried about. Uh, to to his credit, I, I thought that Rudolph was pretty impressive. He orchestrated a few, uh, you know, impressive drives. Obviously, had that pick in the end zone uh, for that two point conversion. That was a pretty big play at the time. But you, you thought you saw some flashes from him, uh, and you know, I, I think I walked away from that game not necessarily excited about Mason Rudolph, but optimistic Uh that he can be a a starting caliber player in the NFL. Right. And, and the unfortunate part is, is when you've got big Ben back there. And like you said, the receiving threats, like in years past have been hitting and you've got Le'Veon Bell. There's such a dynamic to that offense where, you know, you, you can't stop just the run and you can't stop just the pass because even Le'Veon Bell was, you know, the best receiving back uh, in football for a while there. And, you know, you've talked about all the, all the ways that they can hurt you on that offense. And now you've got a, you got a situation where Mason Rudolph is not Ben Roethlisberger. Juju Smith-Schuster is not Antonio Brown and James Conner and Jalen Samuels are not Le'Veon Bell. And so, uh, the defense, I have uh, a lot of optimism in their front seven. Hopefully Minka Fitzpatrick, whether he you know slides over to corner or takes over one of the positions at safety, um, you know hopefully that fixes the secondary's woes as well too. But on offense, um, I, I think it's going to be a lot tougher because without Big Ben and you know with the receivers not hitting on, defenses can focus more in uh, on stopping the run, um, which you would think maybe they would try and lean to to kind of give Mason Rudolph some uh, leeway in these early weeks. We talk about how good the Steelers line is, um, you know, Steelers offensive line is consistently year after year, but that's also considering the fact that a lot of defenses are probably trying to protect themselves on the back end from from Antonio Brown and Big Ben. So without that connection, you know, defenses can adjust more on the run game, and that in turn will put a lot of pressure on Mason Rudolph to make things happen. And it's tough for a young quarterback to make things happen when, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster hasn't actually, you know, specifically been thriving as a number one wide receiver. He hasn't been bad by any means, but you think about the other options on there as well, like we talked about with Moncrief and James Washington. Um, It it is going to be very difficult to see uh, where this offense monitors. And I want to ask you, now that I'm thinking about it too, because we were talking about it with Eli Manning, um, you know, we we believe that Eli Manning's season is probably, you know, this this year comes to an end and it's probably the end of his career. Um, right now, the Steelers are in a situation where things can either go really well with Mason Rudolph and they're stuck, you know, wondering what the quarterback situation is going to look like next year. 
or things go sour and, and Big Ben tries to come back, or maybe there's a situation Big Ben tries to retire. There's a lot of questions about how this season can go. I was just wondering what your insight on what you think is the most likely situation to happen for the Steelers at their quarterback position. Well, the, the reports coming out about Roethlisberger were that he was trying to avoid surgery at all costs, that he wanted to play, and that's a testament, I think, to <laughs> his character. Um, yeah. You know, he, he, he tried throwing uh, through the pain at first. Obviously, that, that didn't happen. It uh, wasn't working out for him and had to be taken out. But, you know, I, I, I feel like Roethlisberger signed that extension prior to the season with full intent of playing it all the way out. Uh, yeah. and I have to believe that he doesn't want to go out on this kind of note. He's going to make try and make right. a comeback. Um, you know, he has a chance of finishing with sixty thousand career yards uh, if he can throw for thirty five hundred next year. I think that's a milestone that he'd be looking at. Um, uh, just to me, uh, I, I don't think that this is the end of Ben Roethlisberger. I think that with the core that is around him, you know, I talked about how this is definitely the least impressive offensive core that they've seen. But you know, they're they're one or two big offseason moves away from really having a complete offense. I mean, I think James Conner is still a, a fantastic number one running back. Yeah, I don't think you need to replace him. I just think, you know, you need to add uh, in that receiving core, you know, get some uh -huh. names in there that will actually be able to contribute. You get that done prior to next season. I think Roethlisberger is in a fantastic position to orchestrate a playoff run for the Steelers and possibly get that third ring, which, you know, being in the in the multi-Super Bowl club is, is definitely prestigious, but you get that third and that really cements you uh, among some of the best quarterbacks of all time. So, uh, I right. have to think that Roethlisberger wants that, and uh, I have no doubt in my mind that he's going to try and make a comeback next season. Yeah, so let's talk about that guy that's not in the multi-Super quarter, uh, Bowl quarterback oh, consideration. Should have been talk about that. last year, um, but that's oh, just my okay. two cents. Um, Interesting. Drew, I, I, I disagree, but, Drew but let's continue. Brees, <laughs> of course. How sad are you? I'm, we haven't I'm, even talked about it. Uh, we haven't, man. It's... It's been a rough couple of days. and Yeah, my quarterback was... retired at the age of 30 after finishing third in the MVP conversation, <laughs> so I don't want to hear it. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't talk, I guess. Well, <laughs> Breeze uh, gets hurt in the middle of the game against the Rams. Uh, first quarter, hits his thumb uh, on a pass or attempt by Aaron Donald to deflect the pass. He misses the ball but ultimately hits Breeze's hand, uh, tearing a ligament in his thumb. He is going to be... Uh, they project he'll be out six weeks. He's getting surgery on Wednesday in Los Angeles, and the team hopes that he'll be back uh, within six weeks. That actually lines up uh, with their bye, um, which they have in week nine. So we might not be seeing Breeze again until week 10 uh, of the NFL season. I think that's a realistic goal for him to close out the year. Now, that the, that means things are going to turn to Teddy Bridgewater, who had a very unimpressive uh, debut 17 of 30 with 165 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, but a 10.8 QBR, took two sacks. The offensive line had so many penalties up and down. Uh, the defense got hurt. Alex Anzalone has been placed on the injured reserve. He's been uh, a big piece in the middle of that linebacking group. Overall, things don't look good for the Saints, and a lot of people have already begun to write them off uh, as mm -hmm. Bridgewater is not capable of you know, handling the starting back duties. But that being said, this is why they have him. They traded for him last season, traded a second-round pick to the Jets uh, for Bridgewater, and then gave him an extension this past offseason. So yeah. certainly New Orleans and, and Sean Payton in particular are high on him uh, for you know him to be able to carry this offense. He has 
fantastic pieces around him, a much better situation than Mason Rudolph is in. Uh, and Mason Rudolph is not an established starting quarterback. Bridgewater, of course, uh, has made a playoff run before. Obviously, he had Adrian Peterson at his disposal in that season. But um, at that time, you know, Bridgewater was seen as one of the more up-and-coming quarterbacks. Of course, he yeah. gets derailed with injury. Um, so the, the team is optimistic that uh, it can have a, a full uh, week of preparation with him uh, as the QB1, and it can turn in an impressive performance. But uh, sorry if I'm stealing your thunder here, Blake. I'm just kind of rolling. But they're, no, they're, yeah. they're going into a tough stretch uh, here. They, they started yeah, off they with are. games against the Texans and the Rams. You know, Coming out of that 1-1 one one is certainly uh, okay. You're, you're not going to be too torn up about that. But they're now going at Seattle before hosting the Cowboys, then followed by games against the Buccaneers, the Jaguars, and the Bears uh, before facing Arizona and then the bye week. So uh, you've gotten two of the harder games out of out of the way, but you know, you go through this next stretch and yeah. you know you you if with with Drew Brees, you're expecting to win at least four of those games, if not five or six. Um, mm. you know, at this point, I think the Saints would be lucky to go three and three uh between now and the bye week, which is certainly not the position you're gonna want to be. Uh if if Brees comes back and the team is four and four you know, you'd like to think that you know he could orchestrate uh, a good, impressive second half, and the team still make a playoff run. But the NFC has a lot of very competitive teams, and I think that it's going to take some high win totals in order to make it to the playoffs. So, I, I I'm just a little bit concerned right now. I think that Atlanta mm-hmm. is a serious threat. Uh, I think that Tampa Bay is is looking at this as an opportunity uh, for mm-hmm. possibly you know the team to to make a jump forward after you know some rough seasons in the past few years. Carolina obviously getting the bad news about Cam Newton. That's actually another team we didn't even talk uh, talk about yeah. pre-show uh, that has some bad quarterback news. Newton with a foot injury that he sustained or, or he re-aggravated during the game against Tampa Bay on Thursday. They're not sure what they're going to be getting out of him, whether or not he's going to be playing this weekend or in the foreseeable future. So that's something to keep an eye on. But, you know, I think that the Saints are in a tough spot. It's just a bad point in your schedule to get this kind of injury. Obviously, losing a future Hall of Famer is a big blow. But, you know, Blake, you you told me before the season that you you thought that Breeze wasn't considered uh, among the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And when I say best, I'll say top three uh, because this offense could succeed without him. Uh, But it certainly did not do that against the Rams on Sunday. Right, no, and yeah, so I, I would say that I don't believe Breeze is a top three quarterback in this league, and I do believe that what we saw with uh, Teddy Bridgewater uh, in that game with the Rams certainly wasn't great. You hope that the week of preparation, uh, instead of just being thrust into a game where you've got Aaron Donald breathing down your neck and a very talented defense with probably one of the better defensive coordinators in Wade Phillips there too, uh, they really knew how to rattle. Uh, they really knew how to rattle Teddy Bridgewater, and the offense kind of fell into a lull with him under center. So, uh, to me, and this is just me personally, um, you know, this this Saints offense. I, I think this is where Sean Payton can have his most fun, and, and you know, back against the wall, he doesn't have his quarterback in Drew Brees, who. I do I do not believe he's in the top three, but if you told me that he wasn't in the top seven or six quarterbacks, I, then I would start to disagree with you. Um, so I do believe he's in that category and certainly one of the better quarterbacks in football. But to me, 
I understand you made Teddy Bridgewater the highest paid backup in football, and I do agree that he should start this game against Seattle, but if things look just as scary again, there's one guy... Dude, I I think Taysom Hill... (laughs) I want it, I I swear to God, I think he looks better. You know, you think about last year, the Saints, I think it was their five longest pass attempts or completions, or it was the ball traveling through the air all came from Taysom Hill. And that was something that also with, with Breeze through the first five quarters, we didn't see a ton of deep shots. It was a lot of working short to intermediate throws. Taysom Hill brings a pop to this football team. He brings excitement. I know we've seen him line up at receiver and tight end this year so far. But I really do believe if things go south in this Seattle game, um, and maybe it's even a halftime adjustment if Teddy Bridgewater is just getting blown out in those first 30 minutes, I would go ahead and put Taysom Hill in there because I think he just provides more creativity. And for Sean Payton, he's got to love the opportunity to get creative with this offense. I mean, you know, he's in a situation where he's not going to want to fold on this season. He's got a talented team. They were a play away from the Super Bowl, and who knows what have happened there. So I, I'm not sold on, on the Saints, you know, you know, totally falling apart. I do believe, fortunately for them, that Carolina isn't going to be a huge threat. I know Tampa Bay is 1-1, one one, but I don't buy them as a huge threat. So you got to toss up between holding out on that division uh, over Atlanta. They're currently both 1-1. One one. Of course, Atlanta has their starting quarterback, and, and you know, um, you know, we'll see what goes there. And, of course, the Saints' schedule isn't favorable over the next few weeks. I mean, you talk about those defense. I mean, those uh, you've got four defenses in the next five weeks that I would consider in the top seven defenses in the NFL. You've got the Seahawks, the Cowboys, the Jaguars, and the Bears, all very talented. And there's a case to be made that Tampa Bay is close yeah, to that number, too. T- yeah, Tampa Bay's defense has looked really good against Carolina as well. And, of course, we talk about how uh, they limited um, Kyle Shanahan's offense in week one. So those are all very talented defenses. Um, you know, to me, I- I'm not totally washing the Saints season. Um, I think it's going to be extremely tough to get a wild card spot in the NFC. So you'd hope that they can hold on to the division lead. Um, but right now, Sean Payton, you know, it's got to be upsetting, but there's got to be a little part of him that's excited to get creative with it. And especially if it's not Teddy Bridgewater, I think Taysom Hill could bring a real nice pop to this offense. And I think that hopefully that's where this whole situation ends up. Yeah, it's interesting. For the first time since I can remember, New Orleans is going to have a quarterback controversy if yeah. Teddy Bridgewater <laughs> doesn't bust out of the gate, blowing everybody away. I mean, obviously, like right. you said, he's going to be facing a tough defense in Seattle on Sunday. But honestly, I think I think he gets two games. I think he gets to face Seattle. Uh, we'll see how he does. Even if he doesn't have a great game, I think he still goes out and makes the start against Dallas. But that's going to be Sunday night football on September 29th. If they get embarrassed in front of a national audience, I could see Sean Payton turning to Taysom Hill yeah. uh, for that Week 5 game against Tampa Bay, uh, You know, moving forward for those last four games before the bye week. Uh, I think that's very conceivable. Um, I obviously don't want Teddy Bridgewater to, to fail. Um, but right. I think that it's it's an intriguing option and something that I've, I've been excited about. I really do think that Taysom Hill is the quarterback of the future in New Orleans. Nice. Uh, and see, see, I agree. And that's a lot of fun. Oh, that's, that's a I'm fun glad prospect. we agree. Uh, that's yeah. a really fun prospect uh, with, with what I've seen Sean Payton do with him. Not even yeah. I'm not even talking about how he's been a Swiss Army knife of sorts <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, been a receiver, been a running back, been a kick returner, been a, a guy running down the lane. I mean, he's blocked the punt in his career. I mean, he's, right. had, he's had a fantastic, uh, a really fun uh, tenure in New Orleans. But just what he's done uh, in the, the quarterback position, I mean, you know, he, he works out of shotgun mostly. I haven't seen him uh, under center so far, but uh, what he, he does a lot of rollouts. 
He's very good at throwing on the run uh, and has a cannon to his credit. You know, he, yes, he's, he does, he's somebody right. who can really throw it deep. Uh, I think his short short range accuracy needs a little bit more work, and that's certainly something that they're going to be working on with him uh, and have been working on with him. But you know, the big thing, uh, you know, the the whoa big off season moment for him was the the story that came hmm. out that he adopted Drew Brees's uh, workout. Um, regiment in his schedule uh, as breeze is known as one of the most diligent workers in the entire nfl uh to a point where it's almost crazy the amount of preparation that he does for the game every single game i mean it, it's it's a whole nother level uh and apparently hill has adopted that method uh and you know that's something that you know as somebody who roots for new orleans it's an exciting uh prospect so uh, i i think this is a chance to see hill uh, if Bridgewater doesn't work out, but certainly, you know, these next two games are going to be extremely important uh, for Bridgewater to show out because, you know, this is going to be his career here. You know, he's not going to yeah. get another chance like this to prove himself because, you know, it, I think when he signed that deal with the Saints uh, to become the backup quarterback this season, he was doing it. You know, he turned down a deal in Miami to go down to there. Be the and that, starter. that was before Josh Rosen was acquired. You know, he was going yeah. to be the guy down there. Uh, he turned down that deal to stay with New Orleans. I believe under the insurances that he'd be in competition for the, the quarterback of the future job. Uh, and obviously the, the, the situation in New Orleans is much better than the situation in Miami. So, you know, that seemed like a pretty good prospect to him. Um, but, you know, he, he doesn't do well in these two games. Hill tears it up in those four. He's released at the end of the year. There's no doubt the Saints yeah. won't need to invest in him once again uh, for next season because I have no doubt that Breeze, uh, you know, well, will want to come back. So, so that actually brings me to ask you that now: Who would you feel more confident? And you can feel equally as confident about both of them coming back. Who do you feel more confident about coming back and playing football in 2020? Ben Roethlisberger or Drew Breeze? You know, I, I would have to say Roethlisberger. Um, yeah, you know, I think that at, he's still got the cannon. Um, you know, that he's had for most of his career. And I think that bodes well um, to him, his aging wise, you know, Breeze has certainly had to adapt his game. He doesn't sling it as much as he used to, you know, never really was known as a guy who had a, a fantastic arm. He was more known for his accuracy. And that's something that's yeah. still on point uh, oh, to yeah. his credit. I mean, he, he set the NFL record uh, for the best completion percentage in the NFL in back-to-back seasons. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, there's certain that certainly part of his game has not fallen off, but I think Roethlisberger still has the strength uh, to you know that that's just so important I think in today's NFL is being able to throw it over the top, um, and, right. and, and I think Roethlisberger you know obviously that elbow injury is a more concerning injury uh, than a thumb injury is uh, in terms of your long term health, um, but if, if if both players are healthy next year I'd say Roethlisberger maybe has the higher upside, um, yeah, but at the same time I think that Breeze probably has the higher floor, so you. Know, take really right. well with that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I would I would go Roethlisberger just because of the fact that he won't be returning this season. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I can think of with Breeze is that he comes back hopefully in the six to eight week frame, definitely hoping for six, and the Saints are still in a place where they can make a playoff run. I think if they were to miss the playoffs, I think Breeze would 100% be back the, the following year. I don't think that his career ends without a playoff run in there trying to give it one last go so if if he comes back in the second half of their season they they you know fall too far behind in these next six weeks and can't make the postseason then I think he definitely comes back to give it one more shot but you know if there's a situation where he makes another deep run in the postseason um and you know like you said you know you have him in the soup you had him in the Super Bowl preseason of course that was before the injury but you know still one of the better teams in football if they can get there you would think that might that might be the scenario where he would be able to walk away feeling like he gave it his all as opposed to, you know, the season ending in week 17 for them. 
Absolutely. And finally, uh, our last quarterback oh, yeah. uh, controversy that we have going on, and you know that's that's in Jacksonville where Gardner Minshew is taking over for Nick Ooh. Foles, who's going to be missing two months uh, after sustaining a broken left clavicle uh, in the season opener. He is on IR. No timetable right now necessarily for him to return. They, they gave the two months, but we don't know exactly what week that will be. So Gardner Minshew is the guy from Washington State, and he had his first career start against the Texans, ultimately losing 13-12. to 12. Uh, He threw for 213 yards on 23 of 33 attempts with one touchdown, no interceptions, did take four sacks, however, finished with a 97.2 passer rating and a 28.7 QBR. So he had no help uh, in the running game whatsoever. In fact, led the the Jaguars in rushing with 56 yards on six attempts. Uh, that goes against Leonard Fournette, who had 47 yards on 15 attempts. That's 3.1 yards per rush, which is pretty mm-hmm. terrible. Uh, the Leonard Fournette stock could not be lower right now. Um, yeah. But where do you stand on Minshew? Uh, you know, he's an exciting guy. He's got the mustache. He's got the flair. <laughs> he's certainly somebody who a lot of people are excited about uh, and had a few drives uh, late in that game where that, that made you get excited. Um, but ultimately, you know, they, they fall short. He struggled for three quarters. Um, they weren't able to take advantage of, of several opportunities. Do you think that the Jacksonville Jaguars are in a good spot with Minshew at the starting quarterback position? You know, I don't think they're necessarily in a bad one. I, ideally, I think just given um, the fact that this team just needs a quarterback with experience that can manage the football game. You know, they didn't bring in Nick Foles to be a guy like Pat Mahomes where he just carries the offense. Uh, they brought in a quarterback that could seemingly just do average, uh, you know, put out standard numbers and, and let this team carry itself into the postseason. And, and you think about how good their defense is. And we, we don't even have time to talk about Jalen Ramsey and how weird of a situation that could be if he's no longer on the Jacksonville Jaguars. But you think that they still have a very talented defense, you know, holding the Houston Texans to 13 points, uh, you know, and, and kind of limiting uh, their entire offense throughout that entire game. Um, you talk about you know the, some of the young receiving threats that are, are enticing. Of course, Leonard Fournette hasn't had a great start to the season, um, and, and you would assume now, as opposed to where with Nick Foles under center, that they maybe stack the box more against him, and so maybe Leonard uh, Fournette is just not going to be in a good situation for this year at all until they have a quarterback that can really stretch him deep. But ideally, for the Jaguars, looking over it, um, you know. I, Nick Foles is to me is definitely a better quarterback than Gardner Minshew. I mean, Minshew was a six-round pick, you know, and he fell that low for reasons that, you know, make complete sense. There, there wasn't a ton of excitement coming out of the draft. Now he's a fun guy. He's an energy guy that really excites the locker room. I'm not sure how the locker room does feel about him uh, stretching in just his jock strap, but uh, that seems to be his thing. So, you know, we'll let him do whatever he wants to do. He's got confidence. He's got swagger, and that's something that you, you know. Teams really thrive off of when their quarterback is in the huddle. You can just tell that this guy has an understanding that he's the shit and he's going to get the job done. Of course, they fell one pl- uh, one play short, and I guess an inch short of Leonard Fournette actually uh, winning that game for the for the Jaguars uh, on Sunday over the Texans. But I think given the situation that the AFC South is all one and one at this point, um, or no, sorry, Jacksonville is 0-2. Not Jacksonville. <laughs> ja- yeah, Jacksonville is 0-2. But given the fact that no other team in the AFC South has really ex- you know, surprised us and excited us a bunch, you know, Tennessee's defense looks good. Uh, of course, Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins are a talented duo, but I have questions down that entire Texans organization. Uh, the Colts haven't looked really 
uh, like world beaters, of course. They've got a dominant offensive line. They've got T.Y. Hilton and some guys on defense as well. Um, but for the Jags, they're still they're still in a good situation, even if they have to go these next two months without Nick Foles. I do believe that in the end, you know, you pay Nick Foles four years, $88 million, $50 million guaranteed that he is going to be the quarterback. But hey, if Minshew Mania takes off and all of a sudden we're looking down here and Minshew's, you know, uh, you know, six games where he's completed around, you know, 67, 65 completion percentage. Maybe he's got a good four to one touchdown ratio and maybe they just want to ride that momentum. Go ahead. But, but ideally I do think that Nick Foles is, you know, the better option just given his experience and his understanding of how to, to manage a football game. Oh, there's no doubt. And I mean, they give him that big contract before the season. They're invested in Nick Foles. Minshew obviously is is kind of a a lottery pick uh, as a backup quarterback. I do love the energy that he brings to the table. I honestly think that it's it's a similar mantra to Nick Foles. Um, Foles comes off a little more humble, um, but he, he carries yep. himself with that swagger that, that garners that respect. Big um, Dick Nick. Exactly. And, you know, I think that Minshew kind of falls in that same category uh, in a way. Uh, and, and, you know, he's somebody who at least the team can get excited about. Obviously, we need to see the numbers, you know, trend uh, in a better direction. Uh, but that offensive line didn't have a great game either. You know, the not just uh, you know allowing sacks, but the the running game wasn't able to get its footing uh, in that uh, play where Fournette was one yard short. You know, the the offensive line did not push the line of scrimmage up at all. Uh, you know. Fournette was forced to just kind of bull rush his way through a pack of guys. You know, that was a tough situation for him. Uh, not to say that he hasn't had his own issues. I, I don't like what I've seen in Fort by Fournette uh, in open space either. But, um, you know, that, that offensive line not doing either Minshew or Fournette any favors. And, and that receiving core, while I do think is underrated in, in a couple of ways, uh, I like Chris Conley, I like DJ Chark, uh, D.D. Westbrook, who, who wasn't oh, yeah. really a factor in that game. Uh, you know, that's, that's a solid uh, quarterback core or wide receiver core excuse me uh and, and i think that's something that you know Minshew can work with but at the same time you know he, he's just got to limit the mistakes you know three fumbles in that game he lost one of them uh had uh no interceptions uh thankfully but at the same time you know he was a little bit slow uh in, in reading some of the progressions uh from what i saw and you know he's certainly going to have to kind of get acclimated to the game speed that the nfl is yeah. uh and mm-hmm. it's it's you know for a six-round pick a guy who played at washington state in a, a smaller conference uh in college this is a completely different ball game for him uh and certainly right. he has a lot of tools that that make you excited he's got the energy uh but there's he's just very raw uh and he's being thrown into a a situation where the Jaguars now 0-2 uh, are trying to climb their way out of the AFC South basement early uh, and, and make some kind of playoff push in time for Foles to get back. Uh, it's kind of a similar situation to what the Saints are dealing with. Um, I, I just uh, I have to see more of Minshew before I get really excited about him, but he's certainly yeah. got the tools that, that you know, I have my eye on him. Uh, he's somebody who I'm certainly, uh, you know, don't have high expectations for, but uh, am willing to consider the possibility of him being uh, a quality quarterback. Yeah, it's exciting. And just, you know, one last thing, the Texans, you know, if other defenses are looking for ways to kind of get him uncomfortable, the Texans laid it out. You just trust that your corners and set them up in man-to-man, and then you put a lot of pressure on the run game and a lot of pressure on him to get Minshew uncomfortable and out of the pocket. That's what they did all day. I was watching that game from the get-go, uh, and it was very clear that Houston didn't want to put didn't put a ton of faith in the receivers and their connection uh, and kind of just let the, the corners take it on man-by-man-on-man. 
uh, and really just really made things difficult for that offensive line and for Minshew. And so if other defenses are looking for ways to, to really get him going, um, trust your secondary and put a lot of pressure on him. Yes, sir. Well, that you know, this was an exciting weekend in football, but also just one that it, it's upsetting. It was upsetting in a lot of ways too. I mean, we saw some great games, some great performances. Um, you know, I, I had a lot of fun watching football last weekend, but there was just so many injuries, man. Yeah, uh, and and it now there's, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, moving forward. I think that we are looking at a very different NFL right now than we were two weeks ago. Uh, mm-hmm. which is a pretty crazy thought. Uh, but the injuries have just really hit hard in the NFL early on this year. Maybe that means that it'll even out and we won't get as many down the stretch. But, uh, you know, this has just been a bad time for quarterbacks, a bad time for some expected contenders uh, who, you know, are, are really having to shift gears uh, and, and, you know, go with plan B moving forward. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, we'll be back talking football on Friday uh, with you all talking some betting lines. Certainly these uh, rookie quarterbacks, these young quarterbacks, will come into play when we talk about those lines oh, yeah. um, because you know there's a whole new expectation for some of these offenses. So it'll be interesting uh, to see moving forward. Now, we're going to go ahead and talk some baseball uh, as our last topic of the day. Uh, and we're going to talk about the Cubs manager, Joe Madden, uh, who is on the hot seat, has been on the hot seat all season. Uh, there was reports prior to the year that he and general manager Theo Epstein, uh, actually he's technically the, the president of baseball op- operations, Jed Hoyer is the GM over there, but Theo Epstein, uh, who is the you know creator of this Cubs core, he, he brought them uh, up to contender status. He did the same thing in Boston, helped them snap a, a drought and win that World Series. Uh, so he is, is, is considered one of the best uh, front office um, executives in all of baseball. He is butting heads with Madden, uh, or at least there were reports that he was doing it prior to the season, uh, who is considered one of the best managers in all of baseball. And Madden's contract uh, is up after this season, so there is a chance that he won't be back uh, next year. And all indications have pointed to World Series or bust for this Cubs team. Uh, Epstein came out um, a couple of weeks ago and said that he was disappointed in this offensive core that he put together, uh, guys like Anthony Rizzo, and Chris Bryant, Jay, uh, Javier Baez, Wilson Contreras, Kyle Schwarber, um, all of these guys who he really thought, you know, Addison Russell were going to be, you know, this this incredibly talented offensive core uh, that really hasn't put the production consistently together uh, that he might have hoped. Certainly still one of the better offenses in the National League, but you know they aren't nearly at the level of the Yankees or the Astros or the Twins uh, mm-hmm. where this, this front office would like uh, them to be. And I think that some of that blame, uh, at least in the eyes of Epstein, falls on Joe Madden. Uh, who you know has only made one World Series. This was a team that we thought was going to be a dynasty, you know, a Patriots level dynasty, uh, with how many young guys that they had together, uh, and, and the money that they had put in into their pitching. You know, they signed a guy like John Lester. Uh, they trade for you Darvish, uh, or, or extent, or signed a massive deal with you Darvish. Uh, you know, they expected big things out of this core, and you know, last season obviously was really rough, uh, where they got bounced uh, in that first uh, wild card game. But at the same time. You know, they just really haven't, since that 2016 World Series, they've underperformed as far as postseason standards go. And at this point, you know, they need to win a couple of playoff series. Blake, I want to ask you this. How well does Joe Madden and the Cubs need to do in the postseason this year for 
Epstein to bring him back? Is it World Series or bust, or do you think just getting there is good enough? I mean, how far do they have to go? Yeah, I mean, Epstein said World Series or bust, which I feel like is such a shitty thing to put on the pressure of your team when you've got, you know, like some of the teams you were mentioning, the Dodgers, the Astros, the Yankees, but the Cubs were expected to be that dynasty that all these other teams were supposed to be playing catch-up to. So certainly uh, the, the pressure is on. I would think that a World Series appearance at the very least would 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 get them uh, would keep um, Madden safe beyond this season, um, but you know of course maybe they fall short early on in the postseason and we definitely could see him uh, moving on. And I know when the last time we talked about Madden, you you hinted at the idea that just got me so excited about him potentially uh, managing the Mets uh, and how fun <laughs> of a situation that would be. It really would. Um, though. It, that's so that you know maybe I'm rooting for that essentially you know I'm not rooting for another man to lose his job but of course he would get picked back up somewhere across this league even if it wasn't with the Mets but you know it seems to be like the pressure is on and they have fallen short the last few years ever since that World Series and we've seen a lot of other teams really take that role that w- was supposed to be the Cubs you think about the Astros and how quick their rise and, and how young their core is you think about the Yankees and how young their core is. You know, they even got a guy from the Cubs farm system at the time. Glaber Torres is now one of the best players on that Yankees offense. Uh, I think he's up to 37 home runs now. He's somewhere up around there on this season. But, but you know, you've got other teams that are really, in short time, have filled the role that we thought the Cubs were going to be off that World Series victory. And so, yeah, it is underwhelming, and it's got to be frustrating. Once you get to the top, you don't want to fall off. Uh, but certainly now that other teams have kind of uh, you know, shaking things up, and you, you you talk about the Astros and the Yankees being in the American League, so you talk about the Dodgers over there, and of course, they, you know, the Cubs aren't, you know, I wouldn't say the Cubs are the second, you know, biggest threat out of the National League. We talk about how impressive the Nats and the Braves have been this year, and, and the Cubs certainly have a great offense, but they've got their pitching concerns, they've got their injuries, so definitely an underwhelming season, an underwhelming stretch of a couple of years, um, and certainly with the young core that they have in place, the, the trades that they've made, you know, getting Castellanos in there, uh, closer to the deadline, of course, bringing in a guy like Craig Kimbrell, you were thinking that those moves would help elevate to the level of the Dodgers, the Astros, and the Yankees, but it unfortunately doesn't seem like it's going to do that. And, you know, personally for me, I, I you know, we've talked about just about every other team in the National League except the Cubs uh, when we talk about teams that could pose real serious threats to get to the World Series. I don't see it with the Cubs, and unfortunately, you know, in, in my sense, in my interpretation of that, that means that Madden is moving on uh, to a different franchise after this season. Yeah, well, I do think they definitely have to get to the World Series. I mean, in his time yeah. uh, with uh, the Cubs since coming over from the Rays, he's had four full seasons, and he's made it. Uh, obviously won that World Series in 2016, but has two appearances uh, in the Championship Series in which he lost. Both were in pretty ugly fashion. They got swept in 2015, lost 4-1 to one in 2017, uh, before losing in that wild card game last year. So uh, I think they got to get past the NLCS in order for him to have his yeah. job secure. Uh, but honestly, I think that this team um you know as much as as the clubhouse loves madden and certainly uh it seems like he has the support of the players um you know chris bryant even came out and said that you know the inconsistency this season has been in part fueled uh, by the uncertainty surrounding Madden's future. Uh, that that takes a toll on on the clubhouse, uh, especially when you know he was so well liked and has been so well liked uh, by this young core that all kind of came up together. It's all they really know. Uh, so for you know uh, to have, it's almost like you know unsure if your your dad's going to leave you. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, you're you're just Aww. kind of living in this state of uh, of of 
misunderstanding and, and not knowing what the future holds, you know, that, that can be daunting, you know, for, for players. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's certainly taken a toll on this team. So given that, you know, they've had two disappointing losses in the NLCS, that is uh, the floor. You know, I, I think they really do have to make the World Series. And if they do make the World Series, I think they got to win it. I, I really think that uh, this, this front office is looking for any excuse uh, to let Madden go and, and find a new voice. You know, there, there's been talk of possibly having Joe Girardi coming out of retirement to coach this Cubs team. I think that's something that really excites this front office, um, you know, given his pedigree and, you know, history with the Yankees. That's certainly a culture that they'd love to bring in to Chicago. Uh, Madden would have no problem finding another job. It's not like either side would really, you know, lose out uh, by letting him go. But uh, I, I think that they really do just want to, uh, you know, move on. And if they do win the World Series, look, the, the front office is going to be thrilled. <laughs> they'll, they'll extend Madden. You know, all will be well. Um, but at the same time, I think a little part of them just wants any excuse to let him go. And if that means losing the World Series, Jeez. I'm not saying any front office exec wants that to happen. But, right. uh, you know, if, if they don't win the World Series, that is going to give them uh, the justification to let them, let him go uh, where it'll land a little bit better with the fan base right now let me ask you do you think that there needs to be some pressure on Epstein here I know we're, we're throwing a lot of flack at Madden and how they've you know had their their um disagreements uh you know leading into the season but it seems like now they're they're deflecting a lot of this onto Madden's performance now is there anywhere where you take a look and say Epstein hasn't done certain things since that World Series to really uh, give them the opportunity or is all of this warranted uh that they've been putting on Joe Madden you know, I, I do like Joe Madden. I'm not saying that the inconsistency is necessarily his fault. I think part of it is just the players that, you know, this front office has invested a lot of money in haven't necessarily been, you know, fantastic. I mean, you know, they get Cole Hamels last year. He he was fantastic down the stretch for them. Uh, big in the po uh, obviously didn't pitch in the postseason, but uh, was big for them down the stretch. Uh, they're looking for him to be that kind of guy. He's been all right this year. Um, but, you know, like you Darvish, uh, who they signed to a massive contract uh, prior to, you know, this recent stretch of success he's been on has been terrible. I mean, obviously battled some injuries uh, prior to, um, you know, this, this little run that he's been on, um, but he had a really struggled. Jose Quintana, uh, who they make that big deal with the White Sox for to acquire, to go across town, he hasn't exactly been uh, the star lefty that they hoped he could be. John Lester has, you know, hit the aging curve a, a little bit harder than they had hoped. Um, you know, last year had a solid year, finished with a 3.32 ERA, but trouble was on the horizon. He finished with a 4.39 FIP, a 1.310 whip. Uh, his strikeout rate was way down. Uh, so there were a, a couple alarm bells there where you, you looked at him, okay, he had 18 wins, but, you know, moving into next season, we're really not sure what we're going to get out of him. This might be a, a time to be a little bit concerned. Um, I, I think that at this point of his career, um, you're, you really don't know what you're going to get. You know, he obviously right. has been, has come up big in the postseason in his career, uh, with Epstein, uh, in fact, uh, back in 2007, uh, when he won a ring with Boston, he did it again in 2013. And of course he, he helped them win, uh, that world series back in 2016. He was the NLCS MVP in fact, um, that year. So, you know, he, he's put in his due, he's helped them get that title. But at this point, you know, the amount of money that they've put in, uh, to those, three guys, you know, Lester, Quintana, and Darvish, uh, you know, they're, they're really banking on, 
them to be uh, really good. And, you know, when they were signed, were there question marks? Absolutely. There were some question marks about Darvish. You know, he, he had struggled in the postseason in his career. Uh, that was a big concern moving forward. You obviously didn't expect him to be this bad, uh, or I guess now that bad if we're talking past tense, considering he's been pitching well lately. Um, but, you know, th- some of these guys haven't played as well as they thought when they acquired him. Craig Kimbrell hasn't been great uh, since they brought him on. He is a 5.68 ERA, um, you know, has struggled in the ninth inning on several occasions. Prior to last season, they signed Brandon Morrow uh, to be their closer mm-hmm. after he has uh, a pretty good uh, run with the Dodgers in 2017. Um, sorry, that was prior to – yeah, that was prior to last season. Um, and they bring him in for the Cubs, and to his credit, he's excellent, you know, pitches 35 games, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. You know, he had that one four seven ERA – but, you know, you'd much rather see him on the field with a little bit uh, less less production. You know, he hasn't pitched at all in 2019 um, and doesn't figure uh, to be playing at all. In fact, is expected to miss the, the, the rest of the season. So, you know, that's a guy who, you know, you're, you're paying a decent amount of money. You know, his salary right now is $9 million. Uh, and you bring right. in Kimbrell, you know, that's that's two guys who you're paying uh, <laughs> over $20 million to anchor the back of your bullpen, and both are on the IL right now. So, you know, th- certainly I think they could have gone for more bullpen depth. They had a very quiet offseason, uh, and I, I did slam them at the time uh, for not addressing some of the bullpen needs, and that's certainly been an issue for them this year. Um, you know, the, the back end of the rotation has been a, a question mark as well. Uh, beyond that top five, they don't really have uh, somebody who they're super confident in. You know, you have a guy like Tyler Chatwood, who made a few spot starts. Um, Alec Mills, Derek Holland uh, has come in. Um, he didn't make a start this year, but Alec Mills mm-hmm. uh, and Al- Adbert Alzale. I can't even say that right. Don't know who that is, but uh, he started two games for the Cubs this year. So, um, you know, the, beyond that top five, there's certainly some question marks. Um, they've all been relatively healthy. have all made at least 26 starts this season, entering play on Tuesday. So that hasn't been a big concern, but the bullpen has, uh, and, right. and, you know, as, as inconsistent as the offense is, I, I don't bet against the that offense in the playoffs is coming through. They've got the names. They've got the star power. I certainly – given that they're all healthy, you know, the, the health yeah. of Javier Baez uh, is a pretty – um, significant injury, and he's not expected to be back until the playoffs uh, with that hairline fracture in his thumb. Um, you know, you've you've had the, the issues with uh, Anthony Rizzo, who has an ankle sprain. We're not sure when he's going to be back. Um, you know, those are yeah. those are two major blows to this offense. Now they have Castellanos, who's been uh, fantastic since being Lights acquired. Out. Wilson Contreras, not as great in the second half. Um, but still, you know, one of the better catchers in the league. You have Chris Bryant, who is, is so underrated, man. He does not get enough credit for, for what he's been able to do. Schwarber hits for a ton of power. Hay- Hayward has had uh, a better season than he's been having in, in past years. So uh, mm-hmm. there, there's certainly things to like about this team. Um, yeah. and, and I think, to your point, that some of the, the blame does fall on Epstein. But, you know, I think gotcha. he was making, for the most part, good bets uh, when he acquired yeah. some of these guys. and. You know, I do think they've underperformed. And at the end of the day, when players underperform, that falls on the coaching staff. So I do think gotcha. that Madden Madden shares a bit more of the blame. He's a guy, he's a, he's a glue guy. You know, he might not be considered the most de- de- developmental coach. You know, he was brought onto this roster after the rebuild. I mean, he was brought onto this roster for them to win. Uh, mm-hmm. So that he wasn't somebody who was who was expected to help develop young guys. Certainly, he had a lot of young players on his team at the time, but they were supposed to be ready. You know, they were supposed to be ready for somebody who could uh, be a good in-game str- uh, strategizer. You know, he's with the time. 
times. He ha- he's a very analytical coach um, and somebody who can help this group stay together uh, through the long season. And you know, to Madden's credit, he does those things. Uh, yeah. But uh, I think that getting the best out of his players might not be necessarily his strong suit. Right. Well, and that the only reason I ask is because you look across sports, and and it's whether it's baseball, basketball, football. Um, you know, when you when you get fortunate enough to have such a young core that you're like, okay, this is dynasty potential. A lot of the pressure is on for those for those other pieces that you bring in there. You know, we just witnessed probably one of the more successful dynasties we'll ever see with the Golden State Warriors. They drafted. Steph Curry, they drafted Klay Thompson, they drafted Draymond Green, but that wasn't enough. They trade for Sean Livingston. They bring in Andre Ugudala. They fill the pieces around that young core to keep them afloat. And to the Cubs' credit, they did that. Bring in Chapman, bring in some of the guys you mentioned earlier on the pitching staff that have gone in. But sometimes when those guys fall through, and you know, like you said, you're paying $20 million to two guys right now that are supposed to be on the back end of that bullpen that aren't really, you know, both are injured right now. And unfortunately, Kimbrell might be expected to come back by the weekend uh, to be determined on him. But, you know, that that plays a huge role in all of it. So, you know, that was my only thing, you know, maybe a little pressure on Epstein for maybe some of uh, the ways he's allocated his money. But, um, you know, they do, regardless of that, they, they, as a franchise, have underperformed since that World Series championship. Yeah. And, you know, expectations are high in Chicago. They've Obviously, they snapped that that long drought, and and now, uh, you know that fan base, which has had a taste of a championship, wants more. It's right. hard to blame. It's hard to blame it. Uh, it's hard to blame the Cubs faithful. You know, they they certainly went through a, a long enough time without one. But uh, you know, this team, if it doesn't win another World Series uh, by the time this core has run its course in Chicago, you know, yeah. if we start seeing Javier Baez, Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, those guys Ooh. leave via free agency. You know, we're going to be looking back at this dynasty like kind of like we do with the Braves, uh, who went on a 19-year stretch of winning the division every single year and only won one World Series. Can you imagine that many playoffs, yeah. consecutive playoff appearances without um, winning, with only winning one World Series? I mean, that's that's all-time collapse right there. Um, yeah. You know, it goes up there with the Bills making yeah, those four, four Super straight Bowls. Super Bowls and not winning any of them. I mean, obviously, you know, the Braves got one, uh, so they, they deserve the credit for that, and the Cubs got one. Uh, they deserve the credit for that as well. But, you know, we're looking at the Astros right now, uh, who had a similar timeline to the uh, Cubs, and, you know, we're seeing 100-plus win seasons year in and year out. We're seeing, you know, the, the front office being willing to pull the trigger on huge moves like Justin Verlander and Zach Greinke in back-to-back years, uh, even though those are super expensive veteran guys. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they make those moves because they feel like they're one piece away from being World Series contenders. And, you know, the Astros only won World, one World Series, but they certainly look to be in better shape to win another oh, yeah. one than the Cubs do right now. Even though the Cubs uh, are in a National League that is much more wide open than the AL, uh, at least, you know, if we're looking at the next, like, two to three years, that's kind of the state of things right now. Um, you know, we don't have very many super teams in the NL. In fact, we only have one, in my opinion, and that's the Dodgers. The Braves are playing well, and they certainly look to be a contender of the future, somebody that's uh, going to be around for a while. But uh, they haven't reached super team status yet. They don't. I don't think they have the pitching staff uh, to to go head to head in in that way. Certainly not the win totals. 
Um, so, you know, the, the Cubs were supposed to be that super team in the National League, you know, up there with the Dodgers and the Nats as, as the, kind of the top three teams for a while. And, and, you know, the Nats, you know, had their struggles of their own, obviously not making the postseason last year, um, not being able to get past that first round. The Dodgers are really the only team that have been able to uh, have that sustained success and postseason success uh, that, no, that, you know, the, the Cubs and, and Nats and uh, other other teams like the Cardinals really were looking for. So right. uh, I, I don't think Madden lasts beyond this year because I don't think the Cubs win the World Series. Uh, right. So I think that we're going to be seeing I, – I really do think that that Madden to New York scenario uh, is going to happen. Uh, I just – you know, the Cub, the Mets have played well enough down the stretch where we now might see Mickey Calloway, you know, earn a little bit of leverage in, in yeah. New York uh, where he might – be retained, but if they don't make the postseason, Brody Van Wagenen, the, the the GM there, you know, he didn't hire Callaway. He came in after Callaway was already the the manager. He's going to want his guy. Uh, I could very well see him firing Mickey Callaway and looking to the open field. And if Joe Madden's sitting right there, man, that's just a match made. You got to take him. It's yeah, a match made. Can you, you imagine Pete Alonso and Joe Madden on the same team? Bro, It'd be beautiful. That's It'd be wild. amazing. I would Are there be any- so excited. Are there any other situations that you think would be enticing? I know the Giants will have an opening. They've got an interesting team as well, too. Are there any other franchises that you look across the landscape you think might want to take a shot at Madden as he gets towards you know, the, the later portions of his, of his uh, career? You know, it, it's got to be a team that wants to win um, yeah. in, in the situation that they're in right now. Um, and, and nobody really stands out to me necessarily as a situation where that might make sense. The Phillies cut ties with Gabe Kapler, uh, which has been rumored. Uh, uh-huh. We could see that. Um, Craig Council with the Brewers, if that doesn't work out, that would be very interesting if he goes oh, wow. um, yeah. uh, cross division. Um, but nobody, uh, we saw a lot of changes last off season, uh, from a front off or a managerial standpoint with a lot of teams getting, um, new managers. So I don't really foresee a ton of changes this off season in terms of, uh, managers, but I I think that the Mets certainly stand out, uh, as the, the most likely option I would say, but, you know, I think there's a good chance he just lands in the NL East between the Mets and the Phillies. Uh, you know, the Phillies with Bryce Harper and, uh, you know, they're a team that expect to win now. Uh, they have a, a lot of personalities in that, in that clubhouse. You know, that seems like a pretty good match as well. Um, so honestly, I would not be surprised if he goes to either of those two teams. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. All right. Well, that's it uh, for our show today. Uh, we had a, pretty good run there we're sitting at an hour seven right now talked mostly football but got some baseball in which i'm happy about so uh, i think we made the right decision to put off the uh stock watch because we'll be here until the for hours uh, we hours of the night so uh we'll be back with that segment next week um but we will also be back for you all on friday talking some betting um more some more baseball maybe we'll we'll squeeze some basketball in there we'll kind of see what the news cycle does for us but um as for our closing notes here, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Matt Wyrick FBB, writing about the Nats and DC Sports. Blake is at Blake Andrew Pace, uh, where he writes about the Colts in Syracuse and talks everything NFL. Uh, and you can see the two of us go back and forth uh, in some oh, yeah. friendly banter that seems to happen all the time. So, um, you know, tune in for that as well. Don't forget to rate and subscribe the podcast. We are on. Apple Podcasts, we are on Spotify, we're on Google Music, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us, so don't forget to drop us a five-star review uh, and hit that subscribe button. Blake, any final words for the good people? 
Yeah, just real quick. Any of you fucks out there that think that the Yankees are going to just walk away from this American League. And yeah, I'm talking to you, you Astro fans and you Dodger fans. Even you, Matt, you Nats fans. The Yankees are back and they're ready to soar into the postseason. Severino <laughs> just finished up his uh, his season debut. Uh, four innings pitched, two hits, four strikeouts. He topped Ooh, out at I'm just... Scared. Topped out just under 99 miles an hour. So we get him back. We get Stanton back in the next two days. Everybody watch out. The Yankees are alive and well. They're alive. I don't know about well. Oh, they're well. Uh, we, will they're see, we will see about these injuries <laughs> and how they play out uh, for the rest of the season. But certainly the American League pennant race is going to be so much fun to watch, man. I can't tell you how excited I am for October baseball. This is going to be a great postseason. I can already feel it, even if my Nats don't go super far. I think that we are going to have uh, some really exciting series. So I'm excited for it. You're excited for it. <laughs> We're at a great point in the sports calendar. Let's go. Uh, thank you all so much for listening, and have a good one.